We're at Mark chapter 14 and verse 10, and we encounter the opposite contrast to the previous situation at the beginning of the chapter with the great example of, I think, is Mary, uh, this woman who anointed the body of Jesus with great insight and great devotion, that she was obeying every aspect of God's word that the grain offering would be anointed with oil and Jesus' body that was going to be given at the Passover was the bread of the grain offering for our sins and that she anointed his body with oil out of obedience to that. Great example of obedience. And now we come to the total contrast of that in the person of Judas Iscariot. And this next section, it presents his betrayal and his great disobedience. It's total contrast to Mary's obedience. Verse 10 says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of the of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said to them, And they prepared the Passover. In the evening, he came with the twelve. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. So here's the tragic story of the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. That is the lowest of the low. It is so low that Judas, the name Judas has a curse on it where nobody wants to name their child Judas. Judas has, the name Judas has taken on the meaning of someone that betrays you or, or carries out a, a very bitter betrayal. One of Jesus' own inner circle, one of his leaders betrayed him to the chief priests and that was Judas and that, is, that was a great, great betrayal. Judas had traveled with Jesus. He had lived with him for these three years or so and had seen him do all these miracles and had seen his greatness. And Judas looked at all that and Judas revealed that he, his heart had never truly been given to Jesus. He had never truly been saved. He was going through the outward motions in a lot of ways. 
He, would, he, he even got assigned the job of being the treasurer. He kept the money. And that in itself was a part of his problem in his heart is he loved money more than God. And he was willing now to betray Jesus for some money. And we know that that was 30 pieces of silver, which wasn't a lot of money. It was the price of a slave. That was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah that, uh, that Jesus would be betrayed for 30, or that, that there was a betrayal of God for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And it was said to throw it to the potter in the potter's field. Well, the rest of this story is that the chief priests take that money and they buy a field outside of Jerusalem where they build a cemetery for a cemetery for people who don't have family or graves and they called it the potter's field. So all that was fulfilled exactly the way Jeremiah prophesied it. God was in, and we'll see that in other details, where God is in complete control of all these events. We need to keep that in mind. So let me present that. There's two part, I think there's two parts of this that we need to think about. There's first the great betrayal of Judas and, and all of the darkness of evil that came out of this and, and, and climax in the crucifixion. That is the darkest of the dark of the world. They crucified the Son of God who was innocent. And not even innocent, He was perfect. He was blameless. He was the King of the earth. And yet they crucified Him unjustly. That is the darkness of sin and the darkness of Satan and the darkness of the spiritual battle that goes on in this world. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing out of that, though, is the sovereign power of God over all of that, that overcomes all of that. And you see that in the details about how Judas betrays him, and it looks like Judas wins, it looks like Satan wins, but actually, this is all a part of God's plan, and God had prophesied even all these details beforehand, that he prophesied how Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver and how, how it would be used to buy a, a cemetery. God knew all of that. Not only did he know it, he even purposed it to accomplish his plans. God's sovereignly in charge of all of this. The details about the, the room being fixed already, it shows that God is in complete control. Jesus is in complete control of all this. And we see his sovereign power over all of this spiritual darkness of this situation. So let's talk through those two things. Let's talk about the spiritual darkness. Here's Judas again that had been close to Jesus. He knew all the greatness of Jesus. And yet he still held on to his sin. And his sin was that he felt like having money was greater than a relationship with Jesus. And a relationship with God, his creator. It was greater than having eternal life. And you see the foolishness of that. The money he would have would only last for a short amount of time. It would only buy a limited amount of things that would then be gone shortly. As the Bible says, that our money sprouts wings and it flies away very quickly. And you don't have to live very long to experience that. 
Physical things of this world don't last, and yet Judas loved that and sought that rather than eternal life, rather than the eternal Son of God and the kingdom of God. What a foolish choice that was. This is the darkness, though, that's in the human heart. This is the deception that's in the human heart, that Judas could see all of that, and yet Judas chose this inferior thing, this, the 30 pieces of silver, whatever money he could get, he chose that rather than the riches of the kingdom of God. What a foolish choice. And this comes out of the previous situation. Judas is one of those voices. He's the lead voice that says, why was that oil poured out and wasted? It could have been sold for, what was it, 300, 300 denarii, which was a lot of money. We talked about it was a, way, a year's worth of wages. Judas wanted that. He had his eyes set on that money, and that's why he complained about it, and he wanted to come into the treasury so he could pocket that money. Judas is all about the money. He's loving. And what does it amount to? It amounts he's worshiping the creation. He's worshiping the creature. He's worshiping the physical things that the creator made. And the creator is greater than the physical creation. And yet he is loving the physical creation and the money that he can use to buy things. And that's the spiritual deception of the human heart. It's the spiritual deception we see in Judas. He could have had a great reward in heaven by being one of the 12 disciples. And he threw it all away for sake of some money that would only last for a short amount of time. And then he would die. And you don't take any of the money with you when you leave this life. You don't take anything with you. And he lost everything forever. As Jesus said, it, was, it would have been better for that man not to have been born. The spiritual deception of Judas, the spiritual darkness of Judas is, is just is so pronounced here. And so when he's, apparently he's upset uh, that the oil, he missed his opportunity with this oil. And so he decides, well, I'm going to the chief priest and I'm going to betray him to see what money he could get. So he goes, it says, to the chief priests, and they, Matthew, I think, records the details that uh, they agreed to give him 30 pieces of silver, and he said, I'll take it. And he agreed to inform them of when Jesus would be alone so that they could come and arrest him, because they didn't want to do it in the crowds to turn the people, to upset the people. And so Judas agrees to inform them of when he is alone so that they can come and arrest him, and he does it for 30 pieces of silver. Price of a slave, which was kind of fitting, and I think it has meaning that that was what Judas was. Judas was willing to sell out for 30 pieces of silver because that's what he was. He was a slave to his own sin. That's how we all are. We're all slaves to sin, and our sin is despicable. It's... it's dark and it is it's deep in us that's the lostness of the human condition that we are all in we're all in this spiritual darkness before we start throwing stones at Judas you know we need to back up and say that's us we're Judas we are the ones in spiritual darkness that's the human condition that is willing to run after 
so much less instead of God that loves things and loves the creation above God in a foolish way. That's the spiritual darkness of the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 has a great verse on that. And it says, the, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? He's saying, we are, we are, our hearts are greatly deceived. And we will run after other things, sinful things, thinking it's better instead of God. And that's our foolishness. So Judas just wants some money and he's willing to uh, betray Jesus. And so he makes the agreement. And then he waits for his opportunity. That opportunity will come then on this night when Jesus has the Last Supper. When after he departs from the Supper, he goes out on the Mount of Olives. And when he's there praying, that's where Judas brings the... uh, Troops to arrest him when he's there on the Mount of Olives. So Judas represents the spiritual darkness of mankind and he's expressing that and the spiritual deception to go after other things that are far inferior, that are only temporary instead of God, the eternal God, and the eternal salvation we can have. And, and the reality, the sad thing with Judas, he missed that. Jesus says he missed it. Jesus says that he was headed to destruction. Uh, there's uh, other verses in other gospels that where Jesus said that, that uh, Judas was a devil from the beginning. And he never turned from that. Although I think there is opportunity here that um, Judas had an opportunity to repent up to the very end. And I think Jesus was offering him that. But Judas was so much deceived, so much in his darkness, that he refused it to the very end. Even after Jesus here speaks this, this is in the hearing of Judas. Judas is here at this point, at the beginning of the supper. And as they're questioning, who's going to betray you? Is it I? Is it I? Jesus actually lets Judas know He says, it is the one who dips with me in the dish. They were eating the bread. They would take the bread and dip it in a dish, in like a sauce, and they would eat it. And he says, the one who dips with me. And apparently Judas was sitting right next to him, dipping in the dish with Jesus. And I think Matthew records this. It's either Matthew or John. That when he dipped it in, and he said that, he said to Judas, he looked at Judas and says, what you do, go do quickly. And he was letting Judas know that I know who you are. And yet Judas, in his hardness, still held on to his rejection of Jesus and his betrayal. What a sad, sad situation. Then later, when he, comes to, when, when he brings the, the troops to arrest Jesus, Jesus comes up to him and says, Friend, why have you come? Even at that moment, he was giving him an opportunity to repent. But the indication is Judas never did. And he dies because of his sin, and he, he, he is lost forever. The sadness of that, Jesus said it would have been better for him never to have been born. But he could have been saved. He could have been saved just as everyone can be saved. Every one of us can be saved. Uh, Jesus' sovereign power and salvation can overcome any spiritual darkness. 
That's the positive thing that comes out of this, that's presented here. No one is beyond salvation. The only one who's beyond salvation is the, only, is the one who refuses to receive it. Who refuses to turn from his sin and to, and to do the smart thing. Judas just refused. And he was lost. But he could have been, I think, saved at the very end. I think he still had an opportunity. And each one of us have an opportunity. And everybody still alive on the earth has an opportunity today to be saved. Because Jesus has not brought an end to everything yet. God has great in his mercy to allow opportunities for people to be saved. His patience is long-suffering. And he is allowing much opportunity for people to be saved. He's waiting still today for people to be saved who can be just like Judas. So that's the spiritual darkness of Judas here that does what is evil, that for just some money was willing to send Jesus to the cross to cause all that suffering on Jesus. Later, Judas goes and hangs himself but the Bible indicates it's just out of despair, not out of repentance. You know, Judas could have been saved and he could have repented and he could have been restored. And you say, wow, how would they have accepted him, you know, after he did all that? Just like they accepted the Apostle Paul after he murdered some of their own family members of the church. And then they received him when they, he truly repented. Judas could have repented, but he wouldn't. He died in despair. He gave up, and that was Satan's lie. He should have never given up. There could, he could have been saved at the very end, but he gave up, and he hanged himself. And that's the spiritual deception of sin that just gives up. It's a very dark, dark place. That's our sin. But Jesus' salvation is greater than that, and it can lift us up and bring us out of it. And there's a couple of glimpses of that. The first is, well, I want to mention before we leave this, when he said, it is he who dips his hand in the dish with me, that was prophesied by God in Psalm 41, verse 9. And I want to read that because this shows how God is in complete control of this situation. And this is an important prophecy I want you to know about, Psalm 41, verse 9. This is David speaking, but David speaks as a, a representative of Jesus. A lot of what happened in David's life is, was a prophecy of Jesus. And David is speaking about his, his own enemy. And in verse 9, he says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And that was a prophecy of Judas. The one who ate his bread, his familiar friend, a close friend, has lifted up his heel against him. That's the prophecy of Judas. And when they were there on that night with that last supper, Judas is eating bread with Jesus, his close friend, and his close friend would go out and betray him to the chief priests. And God knew all of this. Even planned it, accepted that this is how it would transpire, and prophesied it there hundreds thousand years ago with David before this. And this all shows God's sovereign power over all of this that conquers all of the darkness of, of sin. So that's the first aspect of it, that um, 
that Judas's betrayal was, was prophesied by, by God in the Old Testament. And then as they come and, and then uh, they are going to eat the Passover supper, this would happen at the beginning of their Jewish year. And they would kill a Passover lamb. Verse 12 mentions that. And then it would be followed by a week of a, of a observance of unleavened bread where they would just eat unleavened bread. And on the first night, they would eat this Passover lamb. And it was a highlight of the Jewish year. And they would gather with family or close friends at night to eat the Passover lamb. It was, it was like our Christmas. And it really was very similar because it was celebrating how it, would, it was looking forward to Jesus' death on the cross for our salvation. And it was a very big event. And so that's the question that the disciples to, to Jesus to say, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And then Jesus shows his sovereign control over the situation and says, sends them to go into the city and follow a man who they happen to come across and that uh, he goes to, he will go to lead them to a house and he will go in and find a guest room upstairs and it's already set up, already prepared. Jesus is in complete control of the situation. His sovereign power is being shown over the situation. He's about to be arrested on that night and crucified and it looks like he's defeated. Satan perhaps even thinks that he is uh, being victorious over Jesus when he sends Judas to betray him. And he thinks, I'm going to win now. I'm going to win over Jesus. And yet, all of this is actually the events that Jesus had planned before to go to the cross. This is the sovereignty of God. God is so sovereign, He can take the, even the spiritual sinfulness of of activities of people, and he can even use those, turn them around and use those to accomplish his good purposes. That is the reality of God's sovereignty. And we have to be very careful as we talk about that because that doesn't mean that God approved of Judas's actions and that he approved of the betrayal and of the sinfulness and of the crucifixion. He didn't in a sense approve of it because it was wrong, but yet God had chosen that and accepted it as what would happen as the way that the atonement for our sins would be made. And he purposed it to happen. But yet he was not a part of the sin, but yet he uses even the rebellious, sinful acts of man to accomplish his good purposes of salvation. And so all of this is, uh, comes out of this, these details of the sovereign power of Jesus over all of the spiritual darkness coming against him in this time. And so the house set up was a part of uh, a picture of that, that it was all set up already. Somebody had done that. God arranged it where it would happen for the disciples to then uh, have this Passover supper in that Room. And so in, in verse 17, in the evening they come, he comes with the 12, and they have this Passover supper. I have the opinion that there were others there of believers from Jerusalem because that what it says later when Jesus was asked 
by the disciples, is it I who's going to betray you? And he says, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. Well, if only the 12 were there, that wouldn't make sense for him to make that statement, to say it's one of the 12, because it would obviously be one of the 12, because that's, if that's all it's there. But if there's a crowd of people there, of other believers, it would make sense to identify with that statement and say, who's going to betray you? It's one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. So I, I have the opinion that there were the believers in Jerusalem who lived there. Some of them may have joined Jesus on this night for the Passover meal. It was a very holy time, a very reverent time, and they come in the evening. Now that's significant. The Passover lamb was to be killed at twilight, and they were eating it in the evening. And that typically was after 6 p.m., because that's when God told the Israelites to start their day. Their day and from God is that he looks at it as the, the day starts at 6 p.m. and goes to the next 6 p.m. That it starts in the evening and then followed by the morning. And this is how God, how everything started in creation week. God made evening first. There was evening first. Then he made light. And so the evening is the start of the day. We will say 12 midnight is when the day technically starts, even though Practically, we think of the morning time when we get up as the start of the day. But even technically, we realize it starts at 12 midnight. But actually from God, the Creator, it starts at 6 p.m. the night before. Is when the start of the, of the next new day is. So at twilight, when they ate it after 6, it was actually the very beginning of that next day, which was the day of the Passover. So that's why they ate it on the night before which actually was the first of that day in the night. So they would have it at evening. It's the very first thing of that day and eat that and then observe the Passover for the next day, the next 24 hours till 6 p.m. the next evening. Then followed the week of unleavened bread. On that day of Passover, for the next 24 hours, that's when Jesus was crucified. On the day of Passover, because that's what he was. That's God orchestrating it. That this was telling the world, this is the Passover lamb for your sins. And Jesus was crucified on Passover. But it would start with the meal on the evening before. And so that is what they are doing. And as they are eating this with bread, Jesus states, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And then the disciples begin to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, is it I? Is it I? And he reveals it's the one who dips with him in the dish, identifying Judas. In Matthew's account, it appears that he did that somewhat privately, that he said it to the ones right around him, and that Judas heard it and would have heard it and knew that Jesus knew he was betraying him. I think, again, it's an opportunity for him to repent, and yet... Uh, he would not, and Jesus said, then told him, well, what you have to do, go do it quickly. And it says Judas left and went out to depart. And the other disciples thought he was going out to take care of some business as a treasurer. But he was going out to betray Jesus. So at some point in this meal, he leaves. I think he left before the last part when Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. The beginning was the Passover meal. Judas was allowed to be a part of that because he was an Israelite. 
But when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, which became the New Testament Lord's Supper, where he said, this bread is my body, this wine is my blood, it was not appropriate for Judas to take that. And Judas was, I think that's why Jesus said all that to excuse Judas and get him out. Because Judas did not, would not rightfully be able to take that. So that's how it happened, that uh, he was a part of the first of the meal, and yet Jesus is in complete control of the situation. This is also seen in the ultimate thing going on here. Jesus is about to be the Passover lamb. He's about to be crucified. He's going to be arrested unjustly. He's going to be whipped, and he's going to be crucified And it looks like that Satan wins. It looks like Jesus loses. To the disciples, it looked like that. They were all just overwhelmed. They were distraught. They thought, what's happening? Jesus can't die. Why is he not fighting back? Why is he doing this? Why is he dying? We're going to lose him. They thought, they looked at it as a defeat. Satan thought he was going to win. But yet, the reality was, this is how Jesus won the ultimate victory. This is the sovereign power of God. This is the sovereign power of Jesus' salvation. It overcomes all of the spiritual darkness. Even showing its power by even using the spiritual sinfulness of the people involved in the situation to bring about the victory. And it was through the betrayal of of Judas that Jesus is arrested and then goes to the cross and that Jesus then wins the battle over sin on the cross. That's the sovereign victory of God. That God can't be defeated. God's salvation overcomes everything in the sin, in the darkness of sin. And this is is what we will see so dramatically lived out here over these next chapters. And we know in the crucifixion, the resurrection, and it's fitting for us to look at this, we're approaching the time of when, at the time of the year when this happened, around the resurrection Sunday, which is, uh, I think, the second Sunday in April. So this is the time of the year when all of this happened. This is actually the time of Passover. The Jews still celebrate Passover, even though they don't rightfully understand it. They will, they're getting ready to celebrate this. This is the time of year when this happened. And it all is God's sovereign power of salvation over the darkness of man's sin. Where with all the darkness that happened in the crucifixion, Jesus was actually winning in it all. And he is showing his control through it all. He demonstrates his control here on this night with with the supper. And then through the cross. And then in the climax of when he comes out of the tomb. He shows this truth beyond any shadow of a doubt that his sovereign power was in complete control and he conquers sin in his power of his salvation. God's salvation, Jesus' salvation can conquer any of our sin. It is more powerful than our sinfulness. And what we need to do as we struggle, we're in this spiritual battle of sin. We struggle with it. We're, the slave, we're a slave to sin. We can be very weak to sin in our own power. We've got to bring our struggle and our sin to Jesus. For in his salvation, we can find victory over it. His sovereign power can overcome all of our sin.
It could have overcome Judas's sin if he would have submitted, surrendered to it. But he refused to. I think a lesson we can take out of this is that we don't need to be Judas. Don't be Judas. Don't try to hold on to your sin. Don't try to keep going your own way. Come to Jesus. Serve Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Have Him as number one in your life. This is the lesson for us. Don't be a Judas. Don't follow His footsteps. You say, well, I betray Jesus. Well, but if you, if you refuse the salvation, you're following the same footsteps of Jesus, Judas. If you follow, if we follow sin, we're following the same footsteps of Jesus, of Judas. We need to follow Jesus. Keep our focus on Jesus, not Judas. Those are close in words. I confuse them in speaking about it. That's probably a lesson. It's very easy for us in our hearts to get switched over to the wrong one. Very easy to do that. We need to serve Jesus. Follow Jesus, not Judas. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these powerful truths. Help us to follow you, Jesus, and not the footsteps of Judas. Uh, his, his steps were, were a failure, were, were the wrong way. It was a dead-end road. And we, we're on, we were on that road, too, in our own sin, and we could be on that road. So many people are, but it's your great power and your love to rescue us, to lift us up, Help us to stay close to you, to come to you, to follow you. You're the sovereign power. You're the one that knows all the answers. You have all victory over sin and death. So we, we look to you to serve you. And help us to turn away from any sin. And to serve you as the king, sovereign, powerful king over all of life and your great love that you would go through all of that for us. You would suffer so greatly for us so that we could be saved and uh, help us not to, to neglect it, to reject it, and to, to refuse it. So teach us all great truths that are here as we look at your crucifixion and your resurrection in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.